So, before I left for that last month, and now we come back to the homework, right? Before I left for that, for this last month, we were talking about how the the lessons of what's true in life, which you might see as an insight in your meditation or might, might profoundly come to you at certain moments. Like as we sat and people talk about who they have in mind that they send blessings to. My sense always is, you know, we're just really all so fragile. And look what's going on for everybody. And we're all so noble. We're all doing it. We got up this morning. We got dressed. We came here. In spite of the fact that so many people we know are in difficult straits, from which we know that soon it'll be our turn to do that. It's really, uh, when I said this morning that uh, uh, sit dignified and that the Buddha often began his teachings by saying, oh, nobly born, one of the, the ramifications of that noble is that it's hard to be a human being in in uh, in the uh, cosmology of Buddhism, which uh, may or may not be relevant to people who are studying mindfulness for the liberating effects of <coughs> self-awareness. But in the ancient cosmology of Buddhism, it says you could get born in, which actually comes from the Hindu tradition before it, it actually has various levels of rebirth that you could get born into if you subscribe to that cosmology. And it says it's the luckiest thing to get born as a human being because there are, you might be an animal and that not as, um, not as, uh, developed in consciousness as a, or potential as a human being. And you might be an angel. But they say that's not a great thing to be either because there's no place to go from there. And there's no challenge in there because you're, it's already perfect. You don't have any troubles. And they said that this particular path as a human being is the best possible ba- path to develop compassion. So whether or not you subscribe to cosmologies like, like that, it's an interesting thing to think about. If you do this life with your eyes open and you pay attention... How could you not be transformed to kindness? Uh, I like to tell sometimes the story that the very first retreat I went to, which was almost 40 years ago now, almost 35, 36, and I really did not understand why am I sitting here so still for so long, I can't sit another minute, I'm going to explode. Um, And my body hurts, and I'm getting a headache, and why am I here, and what good will this do me, and everything else. Uh, I would have, at any point in that three days, I would have said, I'm never going to do this again. I was doing it because my husband said he'd gone. He said, it's a great thing to do. So I had him drop me off at a place I couldn't even escape. I didn't have to. And the whole time, I was thinking about how will I get out of here, and what point, what's the point of this, and... Uh, at some point I was doing the walking meditation of walking back and forth and back and forth and trying to organize my attention so it was just present for this, not thinking forward, thinking back. And I passed a little sign that said, life is so, life is so complicated. Life is so complicated. How can we be anything but kind? Life is so difficult. How? Thank you. I knew it was something like that. Life is so difficult. How can we be anything but kind? And I think that that's, that really fundamentally is a way of saying in one sentence what this whole thing is about. If we really paid attention. Someone asked me the other day about uh, really trying to think about it. And I've been thinking about it ever since. There's somebody here, actually, who asked about... What's the difference between an insight and an insight? You know, when you think, when you talk to people, when I first started to practice and I started to go on retreats and my teachers would say those same three truths that the Buddha said, this is what you really have to get. If you really, really understood that things are impermanent, that everything that's born has a shelf life, that if it comes into, if it comes into existence, it'll go out of existence. You say, well, mountains, but, you know, we're not actually dealing with mountains. And they also change their shape over time. But in our lifetime, 
everything is arising and passing away. This moment is is arising. You are here at this class, and in two hours it will be something that you did, and it will be in your memory bank, but it will be something that you looked forward to, that you were then in, and then you have as a memory. But we move through all these experiences, and we move into relationships with with partnerships, with hopes, with dreams, with our body being in one shape, and then whoops, all of a sudden it gets old. And who expected that that would happen so fast, you know? <laughs> happens to other people, not to me, you know? But, you know, it happens lo and behold to everybody. But you don't think about it so much when you're young, and it's not reasonable to think about it a whole lot when you're young, because the chances are you have a whole lot of time. And one of the awarenesses as people get older and older and older is that, realistically speaking, even with our best of health, we run out of time. Somebody just died at 110. Those are the fabulous things we think that we say, wow, that's great. Not that many people get to 110. We love them. I, I, I love those perfect. A friend of mine's great aunt at 112 sat down after lunch in her Barca lounger or whatever. She said, I'm going to take my nap and didn't wake up. That was great. We all wish that we could sit down at 112 in a Barca lounger and, and, and articulate what we were doing and then not get up, but it doesn't happen that way. And sometimes way out of order and to know this is all very, very tenuous. I think when I first began, oh, Nancy, go. Well, I just want to add that woman was a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. So the story is so deep, and the, the idea of not staying stuck in yeah. the horror of the Holocaust, she just brings such joy and appreciation yeah. um, and wonderful I, I, I was thinking about when you said that, what's the name of that documentary film? Could we all watch it? Um, it's called The Lady in Number Six. Yeah. The Lady in Number Six. Um, but there's also, if, if you Google something like at the age of 40, taken into a concentration camp huh. her name there's 11 minutes of the documentary that's online um, what's her name Alice Hertz H-E-R-Z Summer S-O-M-M-E-R um, and it's remarkable her son died um, at the age of 65 but she still had to experience yeah. her son's death and the way she talks about it with such <coughs> gratitude it's, it's, she's just Absolutely. And what a gift that the filmmaker chose to make that film. So yeah. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? What a gift that the filmmaker made the film. What a blessing that she was able to do that. You know, I think a lot about why is it that some people with devastating experiences can say, well, thank goodness that's finished, you know, and, and feel it and grieve it, but move on. And other people can't, and I, I don't know why. We probably in our lives know people who were A and people who were B. And why is that? You know, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not because some people tried harder to be noble and other people didn't, you know. I think it has something to do with genetics and it has something to do with, I don't know, just how it works out with people. But it's a great blessing when people can do that. And it's a great blessing to tell stories about I think when we tell each other stories, I'm thinking about so-and-so and I'm thinking about so-and-so, we're telling each other the story, this is life and it's very difficult. Everybody's got stuff. So that when we have stuff, we have the stuff, it doesn't make the stuff less grievous, but at least we don't feel so lonesome with the stuff. Everybody's got stuff. Um, so just to come back to what the homework was about, so I can, I'll finish that sentence. Uh, the Buddha said there are three things to know, that things are impermanent. I remember thinking when I first started to study what the Buddha taught, I'd read things in the early teachings and he'd say, uh, life is by its very nature, is, has the nature of suffering. We will be parted from everything that's dear to us. And I think, well, it's such a um, depressing thing to say, who would be interested in a path like this, where straight out says that to the be- from the beginning. There's a, there's a line that says, everything that's dear to us causes pain. So I didn't like to teach that line either, because it sounds like a grim kind of a thing. Who would want to? But I think the truth is that not everything that's dear to us causes pain all the time. 
but I mean, we have a lot of joy and a lot of uh, pleasure and delight when we see our friends or our progeny or our friends' progeny or whoever do wonderful things. When you watch the Olympics, how many people watched Olympics? Did you think about the parents of the figure skaters or the parents of the people doing the skiing where they were? And someone told me yesterday that one of the athletes died. I wasn't here uh, until last week, but someone told me one of the American skaters who did the acrobatic skating, uh, skiing, in the, a couple of years ago she died. Okay. Then they said that they, the parents said, you know, she died doing what she loved doing. So you can tell your child, don't do slopes, don't do this. Uh, The whole of life, you can't say don't cross streets. Don't be where someone coughs on you with a germ. You know, you can't, there there just isn't a way to do it. Um, So he said the thing is that my sense now is that the Buddha was not doing it to be gloomy. He was doing it because it's true. And that, I, I think to the degree that uh, I remember that, it puts other stuff in, purpo- in, in, in perspective and the kinds of things that I want to make important or make a scene about. I don't because really nothing matters to me except the well-being of the people that I'm connected to, knowing that we are all subject to all kinds of difficulties. Anyway, he said if you knew this, if you knew about impermanence, and that everything is lost to everybody sooner or later. Our own health, our vitality. You know, in every possible way, when I'm walking along through a, through a, an airline, uh, and I've just picked up my, my suitcase, something, and I'm wheeling it towards the exit, and I'm walking along as fast as I can. I see, everybody's walking faster than I am. <laughs> and, uh, much faster, you know. So in the beginning, I could say, well, that you have short legs. But now you have short legs and an old body. And they, I mean, there's no way to, that I, and picking up the suitcase and putting it on the thing with the security and taking it off and getting dressed again. and It's a great boon. Do you know that when you're 75, you don't longer have to take off your shoes and you don't have to take off your, you don't have to like get undressed in the security. You can I mean, take off the jacket but and the shoes stay on. Not in Europe. In Europe, you take off the shoes. But here, it's really, I, I was delighted when I first found it out. Now I think when they don't even ask how old you are. <laughs> and I notice how, but that's another form of seeing the mind attached. I'm attached to thinking that I look like I did 20 years ago, and I don't. Uh, so everything changes. The second thing that the Buddha said was that suffering is what accrues in the mind when we can't stand it that things are the way they are. Suffering is the imperative in the mind that it shouldn't be like this. If I I realize that I'm rushing along and in fact everybody's ahead of me or that I'm getting out of breath or that I'm tired or any of these things because in the meantime I got old. (laughs) It's just a fact, I got old. Uh, If I couldn't stand it that I got old, then I'd really be in trouble because I can't do anything about it. That's what he said, if there's an imperative in the mind, to be able to say it's like this. Even to say, I've had a loss. You know, the worst one's child has died, one's best beloved has died. To be able to say, I am terribly grieved, but it's this way. This is the way it is. And it happens to everybody, which is one way or another. That that third thing that the Buddha said you needed to know was that we're not doing this alone. Everything is connected to everything, depending on how you read it. Things happen because other things happened. One of my teachers used to say it's a lawful cosmos, but actually when he said it, I thought he was saying it's an awful cosmos. And, <laughs> and it was a t- I was much younger, and I was, I, I was much more... I was, my, my depressive side was much more out, so I probably heard it that way purposely. Or, you know, by the fact that my mind was cast that way. But that things happen because other things happen. Every time I see an accident, I think, uh, you know, if this person had come, if that car had not braked right then, 
or if they're, this person hadn't swerved right then, or if uh, that person, whatever reason, that, that so many things go into everything happening, and that the karma of things, when you think about it, I'm, I am here because my parents met each other uh, 80 years ago and decided that they liked each other enough to marry and have a child. But they were around the corner from each other because their parents, at four different times, from four different locations in Europe, all emigrated from Europe with their family in order for them to be able to live around the corner from each other and meet each other and decide to do that. So from four different places, at not so much a difference of time, but not the same time, four individual people decided to come bring family or have family. You think about it, and that happened because of the economics and the politics of Europe at that time. So sometimes when I teach this, I like to say that Marco Polo is part of my karma because, you know, if he had not opened trade routes to the East, what would have happened? How would history be different? And everybody really is connected to everything. And when I can remember that, that there really aren't any accidents. People say uh, it was an accident that we met, or it was a coincidence. Sometimes they say it was an accident that it happened when it's a bad thing. And then they say, what a fabulous coincidence when it was a good thing. But everything is an accident and a coincidence when you think about it. Everybody that you meet on the street, you could have met or not met. And it could have this or it could have that. When you think about that, you think, whoa, this is really not in my control. Control. We can control a little bit. We can take driving lessons. We can listen to the forecast. We can, we're an active participant in our lives, but only in a little way. I can I, sometimes I like to say that I can decide what I eat for lunch if I live till lunchtime. But <laughs> that, but it's it's seriously true. You know, you don't have that much maneuverability. And, and at the times in my life when I, in, in, I, I I don't do it so much now. But even now, you think, whoa. This is none of it in my control. It's none of it in my control. You think about it, you think, whoa. And we get up as if it is. And we go out in the day confident. It's a good thing. If we thought about, if we thought about when you say to somebody, I'll see you later, you really don't know. And if I thought about that all the time, it's a, it's a, it, there's a famous kind of, um, pick up the pace. Susan, uh, Susan, did Susan make it to class? Anybody else did the homework? Did you do the homework? I did the homework. Nancy, you did the homework? <laughs> We're going to get to the homework. Uh, Nancy and I and Susan's homework, which I downloaded. If we got out, if we thought all the time about, you never know, the Kierkegaard philosophy story, that this is a teaching where he presumably said, someone said to him after they had their normal Tuesday meeting, they said, uh, I'll look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. And he said, presumably, I'll see you next Tuesday if when I leave your house today, a tile does not fall off the roof and hit me in the head. And as I cross the street, I am not run over by a carriage and on a horse. And this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen. So... Kierkegaard was a while ago, and that's just another that's another explication of we really don't know. It's a very um, um, what's the word? Uh, it's not a capricious life. It's um, it's, it's uh, there's another word. It's the things that circumstances that everything is circumstantial. Everything is circumstantial. Everything is a coincidence. What a coincidence that we met when we're both in the same street. What a what a this, what a that. It's a, and sometimes we make stories out of it. We say we were meant to be. I have a friend who finished college, went to Europe, um, and was taking the train from uh, Paris to Marseille where her college roommate had invited her to come and spend the summer with them. She sat down on the train to Marseille in the only empty seat in the car next to a man whom she's still married to now, <laughs> like 50 years later. So you say, whoa, you know, that was meant to be. I don't know. What if she got on another car and sat down next to somebody else and she would have had a whole other life. And when you think about it, 
there are things that you think about. If I hadn't met so-and-so, I wouldn't have met so-and-so, and I wouldn't have met so-and-so, and I wouldn't have met so-and-so. But that's always true. And the thing is, you would have met somebody else and had a whole other life. Yeah, yeah. Serendipity is a good word, but it's not the word that I'm thinking about. It's our destiny. Uh, destiny, you think, Ace? Um, <laughs> yeah. Beshert. Beshert means also it was meant to be. I don't actually know what, how that word came. What What's the etymology of Beshert? It's Yiddish. It's Yiddish. It means it was meant to be. Uh, in in uh, do you remember years ago Peter O'Toole in uh, Lawrence of Arabia, the catch line is um, wait a minute. It was written. There it is. It was written. When something happens and say, well, it was written, and then something else happens, it was written. I don't know if everything because I think we're rewriting all the time. If I decide to leave now to meet a friend and then the phone rings and I stay on the phone for five minutes and I come five minutes late to a accident on the bridge, it's not because I'm a good person and I answered the phone. This is because I answered the phone. You know, that I actually think most of this stuff is amoral. It doesn't have to do anything with morality. It might have something to do, I mean, maybe, but maybe if I hung out, if my life was immoral and I was robbing banks or doing something that was a hazardous activity <laughs> but an immoral activity but even that I wouldn't be doing the immoral activity if I hadn't had the parents that I had or the background that I had I don't know uh, I'll tell you a story later on maybe if we get to, <laughs> if we get up to the homework so the question that came up earlier this week is, I learned early on that those were the three things that you, if you had a good handle on those things, how precious every moment is because it won't come again, how uh, we have a choice between saying, okay, this I can change, this I can't, that's the way it is, and not cause the mind to tie itself in a tangle, or and to see I am part of this whole unfolding of consciousness and the whole of being and along with other people making my way through this round of this life and this story in a world full of seven billion stories. If you really got it, the Buddha said, you wouldn't suffer because things happened. It wasn't, wouldn't be that you wouldn't feel bad about it, but you could manage your life better. You wouldn't be so fearful of it. Realize, you know, we're all doing this sooner or later, X or Y. So the question was, do you have to, when you hear that, you think, well, who doesn't know that? Everybody knows that. Why do I have to meditate to know that? Why will be, when I said those to you, these are the three things that you're supposed to know. Nobody said, well, I don't think so. Everybody knows <laughs> yesterday was yesterday. And that those things that grab our mind and we can't let go of them are painful and that things have to do with other things. I actually think in, in, at least in my experience, I didn't not know those things before I heard about the Buddha said, but I know them better, I think, because they've cycled through me um, in a way that my awareness connected with and said, aha, uh -huh. you know, look, it's really true. My, I am suffering now because I just can't, because I'm, my mind is not willing to let go of the thought that it has to be another way, but it can't be another way. To whatever degree that helps. To whatever degree it keeps me from nourishing a grudge or not healing a grudge. If I remember that I only have a certain limited amount of time in this life, and I also have a certain amount of airspace in my, in my brain, in my heart, and I don't want to mortgage it to ill will, you know, that... Um, that actually even that awareness that um, sometimes when you have a grudge and you're right, you know, you have righteous indignation, feels so invigorating, but it's actually quite, it's, it's quite, it's, it's exhausting, you know, it's exhausting. But I'm right. But it's exhausting to be able to feel that in your own mind, not just hear about it. I think we change. I think I'm changed. I think we've all changed 
Sometimes just from getting old and getting wiser, but some people get old and they don't get wiser. And some people, they were wise before they meditated. And some people, myself in them, would say, I think I know this stuff better from uh, sitting with it, with, a, um, with the intention to see these truths and with a certain amount of focus and poise in my mind. Now we get up to the homework. So, asking, so do you have to do it in a meditation retreat to have those insights? And we said, no, uh, it, the whole of life is one long opportunity for insight. If I find myself driving my car and I'm grasping my wheel because I'm thinking that so many people on the freeway, why are they, are they everybody should be carpooling with other people. We're using resources. Look at this traffic jam. This shouldn't be happening. Meantime, I'm driving by myself in the car. You know, and you see that the mind has tied itself in a knot because it's unhappy with the situation. And it's ridiculous. And you say, wait a minute, I don't have to do this. You say, all these people, because they're driving carefully, are keeping me alive. They had none of them banging into me, none of them crashing, nobody cutting in front of me. May they all be peaceful and happy and come to their destinations in a good shape. Then my mind relaxes and I get to where I'm going when I'm going. Why should I stir up my mind and confuse myself? So we talked about, here was the homework. We finally got up to it. We had 25 minutes for homework. Tell a story. Notice in the time between now and when we meet again, which is today, See some ordinary event, like that freeway thing, or something that happened to you in the dentist office, or something that happened to you here or there, so that rather than telling a story about in the time of the Buddha, this or that, uh, how about in our time, here or there? So we were going to do that, and people were going to all bring that in. So. (laughs) So anybody did it? There you go. There you go. Nancy did it. Nancy did it. Nancy did it. Christine did it. Uh, Susan sent us in. You did it too. Okay, Juanita. You want to read your story? Okay, stand up and tell it. Yeah, collective gasp. Loud, though, loud. So, first of all, great story. Great story. So, I, actually, I'm serious, Juanita. I'm going to be gone for a month now. In that month, type that up just as you said it, okay? I have in mind we're going to write a book, okay? We are. Uh, and at the end of the whole thing, you say, I should have known. But uh, when you do it again, write what this reminds I should have known that... If I struggle with what I can't change, just the Buddha would have said, see if you can do it that way. Or a dharmic explanation would be, da da da. Okay, great. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So, you ready? Go. And the next morning we woke up and we thought, 
why are we rejoicing in their absence? What is it about our relationship with the boys that's making us rejoice that they're gone, thinking we should run and do all these other things that we don't do when they're here? Um, so it made us very mindful for the whole week of how we were making our decisions in their absence, um, and how and it wasn't so much oh we planned we missed them, um, but it was really an experience that made me. I, it reminded me, if I can use a Buddha expression, of the whole idea of you know chopping wood and carrying water. Every day you get up and you chop wood and you carry water, and whether my children are present or not, my job is to be present for them. Um, you know they're facing a lot of things with. Where are you going to school? One's getting football scholarship offers. One's got this new 30-page paper. And their worlds outside of being home are so filled with that. And then I add to it, you know, what's the homework look like tonight? You know, what, you know, what did you eat for that football practice? You know, <laughs> and I found that now that they're home, I'm not doing it. The world's doing that to them. You know, my job is to be present and teach them how to chop wood and how to carry water each day, which is where they're Bravo. Very, very wonderful. So, you know what? I'm, I'm reminded of, please write that up, type it up, okay. Um, that one of the things that I've been thinking about the stories that we tell about what we do or don't do, or even when we tell uh, uh, um, arcane stories from the time of the Buddha, the woman whose child died, who did, couldn't accept it and then did, that they all have a moment, and the moment in the in in the story is all, we're, we're not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, and all of a sudden we get it, and how much better it is. And suddenly they say, "Whoa!" Uh, I I like that. There's a, the um, the Christian hymn, "Amazing Grace." The line was blind, but now I see, and I think that it has a the. Um, at least it's very meaningful to me that we get confused because we're not really, really able to pay attention. We don't get it. We're too overwhelmed, something or other. And then all of a sudden, ah, that's it. And then we see. Okay. Nancy. Um, this story to me very similar to Juanita's in some respects. It has to do with uh, the Buddha's lesson about the second arrow where you experience some kind of pain, which is momentary and will dissipate very quickly, but then you add to that through your stories and the situation you get into. I'm a hospice volunteer, and I signed up to do a vigil, which is sitting with someone who's in the final moments, hours of their life. And when I took the assignment, my supervisor explained to me that this woman was having a very difficult time she had uh, metastasized breast cancer and had an intestinal blockage. And so anything that her body needed to expel was coming out of her mouth. And it was anticipated to be a, not a pleasant situation to be around. I signed up for this assignment a complete day in advance, and I spent all of that intervening time as Juanita did, anticipating what was this going to be like how horrible it might be, how I might feel, how I might react. Should I call my supervisor and tell her, I don't think I can do this, but no, this was what I signed up for. They told us that this kind of thing could happen. And I went to sit with this woman, and none of the things I had anticipated happened. She was resting comfortably. She was just breathing. She was just calm. She was just quiet. And my time with her was quite um, enjoyable. It was quite pleasant. And so the, the story, the, the, Buddha's, the Buddha's lesson is don't shoot yourself with that second arrow. And, and in this case, don't anticipate in advance something that might happen because it might not happen. Just be with it when it happens and don't worry about it. Yeah. So okay, you're gonna. <laughs> so, more Nancy. Nancy. Well, could we hear Susan's first? I don't want to use up all the time. 
No, we have time. We have time. I'll, I'll read you Susan's first. Where is Susan's? Susan's thing is called, um, well, I'll read it, and then you'll do yours. Dharma, this is called a ticket to happiness. Dharma lesson number one. When you have directions in hand, trust the path. Dalai Lama to speak in Berkeley on happiness. This is the name. The very thought created overwhelming desire. I needed to go see him. I needed tickets. My friend agreed. With Google Map in hand, we proceeded early on a Saturday to be there when the doors opened. Directions pointed the way down central to Huntington when we passed several streets with unreadable signs. Dharma lesson number two. Do not believe that newer technology will supply a better way. (laughs) I was convinced we were headed the wrong way. I wanted to use my new GPS technology. I told Siri what I believe was the correct information. She sent me in the opposite direction. My companion correctly felt we were being misled. We were laughing a lot. We need human intervention, I teased. Stopping a kind per- stopping a kind person sent us down the hill to the Tibetan center. Dharma lesson number three, kindness of other human beings can often help us find what we're seeking. Thoughts of arriving as the doors opened proved a miscalculation. There was a very long line circling around the block. My friend got online and parked the car. When I found her, she had met a friend who held her place while we checked out the line winding around the block. I also had the thought I might get closer to the front. Sure enough, I found a dear person who let me join her. My companion, having much more integrity, went back to the place being saved for her. We could buy two tickets apiece. I had told friends we would buy tickets for them if we could. The person that I, quote, joined had gotten there before 10 a.m. If we hadn't gone in circles, I figured that's where I would have been standing. The wait gave new meaning to meet people, meeting people online. Someone from, I think that's very funny actually, someone from the center came by and told us that there was a very good chance that we'd get tickets. After that, we relaxed, joked, felt united in our common cause. Tibetan food was for sale. I bought a large plate of various things and offered them around. Time spent waiting was pleasant. Dharma lesson number four, enjoy the present moment. The lessons of the day are right in front of you. I was two people away from the ticket seller when the sold out sign went up. At first, I felt really terrible, and then I saw a really long line of people behind me who also did not get tickets. I was not alone in my disappointment. I also realized that a handful of young people online were scalping tickets. So suddenly, the whole thing appeared to be more like a rock and roll concert than a lesson in happiness from the Dalai Lama. I felt then that my lesson in happiness was more about accepting what was happening rather than grasping for something or competing. I came to get a lesson from the Dalai Lama about happiness, but I realized what I need to find is true joy. Sometimes our teachers teach us that we don't need them, that we don't need them. Sometimes our teachers teach us that we don't need them. The lesson was waiting in line. I really had fun with the other people. I was able to enjoy food and good humor. Buying a ticket is about investing in the future. Being in line is the present. Some of the best things come waiting in line. Dharma lesson number five, nothing is more important than the company of good friends. I do not spend much time with my friend who's an absolute joy. We are always so busy, but when we see each other, we laugh a whole lot. She's an enlightened being. Her heart is light, and she's always got the capacity to live in the present moment. We love to take walks together, marvel at every flower and beautiful views. We get so little time together. We're grateful to be beside each other, even when we're stuck in traffic. We got caught in a tremendous jam. We were not sure how to get out of it. She wanted to go right. I wanted to go left. There you are talking politics again, I joked. We took a route back that led us to the very center of the jam. Every detour we took trying to escape the traffic just made it worse, but we laughed at it. Every decision we made was not about who was right or wrong, but the joke or the lesson we could find. Then, as we were stalled, I saw a bumper sticker that may have been the true ticket to happiness, and it didn't cost us a penny. If you are in your heart, you are home right now. Thankfully, I was. So that's Susan's Susan's story. Now, now Nancy's story. That's a hard one to follow. And actually, I want to say, just it was announced that the Dalai Lama would be at Davies yeah. here, and so I plan. So this isn't my story, but it's another story. Um, but I plan. I'm going to go online at 10 o'clock and get tickets to Davies and go and 
I went to the wrong website. <laughs> and at 10.02, I realized I was on the wrong website, went to the right one, and they were already sold out. <laughs> and I actually thought, I have a choice here. I can be really stewing over, it's not fair, I didn't get tickets, or I could just say, I guess I don't get to see the Dalai Lama this time. Mm -hmm. And I chose the latter one, and it was really okay. It's like, whoa, I did my best, and it just didn't yeah. work. Um, but my other story, it was actually going to this document. There's a series of five documentaries, the Academy Award-nominated ones. Um, and it was in a small theater, Opera Plaza. And so I went early because I was afraid it would be sold out and I wouldn't get a seat. And I was sitting next to a person who was on her cell phone. And this is like 20 minutes before, which often I'm capable of being very contentious about that and really annoyed. But what happened was it reminded me that it was my sister-in-law's birthday and she's on the East Coast and I had a quick opportunity to call her and tell her <laughs> <laughs> because by the end of the movies it would be too late on the East Coast to be calling her. So it was this wonderful gift and it was also a gift my sister-in-law doesn't relate to me the way that I would like her to. Um, she relates to life a lot differently than I would like her to. And to actually give up and say that's just the way it is. I can't do or think of anything to be different, but I don't have to act out of, I don't have to act different than my own integrity and my own kindness would. And I love birthday calls. So instead of calling or needing a certain response from her, um, I was able to just call because it's what I do, is to mm -hmm. call and, and say happy birthday to somebody. When I got off the phone, the woman next to me was still on the phone, um, and it was fine. The movie wasn't starting or anything, but she was feeling very badly about it. And when she hung up, she apologized to me right away and said, it's normally not something I do. And I said, it's fine, actually, because you gave me this great gift of reminding me to do this. And then we started to talk, and she's a teacher at an elementary school, and it just happened that one of the pediatric hospice patients I worked with, his brother had attended that school. And so I could just say, oh, I know that school because one time when I was doing a home visit, the brother needed to be picked up. And right away she said the child's name. It was a child that had come over from Japan for brain surgery and then had been stuck in San Francisco. Um, and it was just this amazing blessing to hear this boy's name in the context. And she had just recently been in contact with the family. It happens that I know somebody from England who's starting pediatric hospices now in Japan, which is where the family is. And I just think of all that, just being open to, she's on her phone, what gifts come from this. Um, and then it turned out the fifth movie was about hospice. Um, so it was like this really incredible circle just from getting early to the movie and not fussing about <laughs> Actually, uh, thank you very much. Yay. I think that this is about not fussing about. That would be such a great tagline about what did the Buddha teach? He talked about not fussing about things, you know. If you can fix them, you fix them. If you can't, you don't. And don't fuss about it. And the other piece which really was meaningful to me about what you said is I keep finding little opportunities like that where I'm suddenly going to do something that I would have formally disapproved of, like talking honest. Uh, but I'm about to do it, and maybe actually do it. And then, and, but I'm aware of the fact that I am now doing something that I disapprove of other people doing. And if I'm aware of it, what it does is it erases that neurology that says I don't like them because they're such and such a person who does that. Because I'm also such and such a person who does that, you know. And, and I catch myself in that. Ever happened to you where you find yourself doing something that you would really, if you found out about somebody else, you know, that, uh, no. That, yes. I'm going to make it really late, and I 
have to leave early because I have this introduction that I'm making at a meeting. And I had a choice of how to take the fact that I was sitting in this beautiful countryside with the rain coming down, totally silent, in my car, and with, with time to practice my introduction, balance my bank account, <laughs> and just use the time that I had right then and there and sort of sit in kind of a meditative way and figure, well, that's what I would be doing if I was at Spirit Rock. So, uh, and, and then this very night, it took almost an hour, and, and finally uh, AAA came, but I was fine with it. Got the gas, my car started, and here I am. <laughs> so that's, I, so being in the present and taking the opportunity to see the gifts and, and uh, the blessings and not get caught up in, oh, how could I not have remembered to get gas, and what am I missing, and so on. So that, that's lesson number one. The other lesson uh, was an experience with my daughter. I just was with my daughter in Maui, and she was studying framing with a, a craft, a, a man who uh, is a, just a wonderful craftsman in, in framing fine art. Um, so she framed this beautiful piece of work that's sitting in a gallery in uh, the town of Kaia in Maui. And um, she told me that when they put the picture up, she and her mentor, Glenn, uh, the manager of the art gallery got very upset with them because they were taking a photograph of the artwork, and she just really kind of laid into them about doing that. So Charlie had this really negative impression of this manager of the art gallery, but we wanted to go and see the, the picture the, that she framed. The manager was there, and Charlie said, yeah, there she is. But we just kind of, this time, this woman was just open, welcoming, generous. We got into conversation. It turns out that she knew about Katadi, where I live, the Katadi Accordion Festival, and she went on to tell us a story about her sister, who had been given an accordion, had inherited an accordion, and um, had come upon this musician who played the accordion beautifully, and decided to just give him the accordion because she didn't know how to play it. And she thought that the gift of accordionists in this world would be much better if the accordion was with him rather than with her. So he was just so grateful and overcome that when she got married, he contacted her and asked if he could play at her wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so she got married. They had this beautiful accordion music and no charge, and everybody celebrated uh, relationship and fine music. And our conversation went on from there, and uh, it just totally transformed Charlie's impression of this woman and mine as well. So just being open and uh, and just really relating to people where they are, who they are, and remembering that if something doesn't quite go right, there may be it's it's like temporary. It's it's not. <laughs> getting stuck in an opinion and a view. So letting those go and being where you are in the moment. So those are my stories. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Uh, I, uh, you know, I was, go I was going to say, I'll tell you my story the next time because it's 11 o'clock, but I hope that you will write a story or at least rehearse a story. But I really hope you'll write it. Because mine, you know, mine is written. You could all write that right down exactly as you said it, and do it, you know, do it on a computer that you can send it to a thing. Because I seriously think I'd like to, I'd like to compile our, compile our wisdom, wise people living life. We'll call it something like that. But the one of the things that I was going to talk about, had I told my story, you just made that point, Marty. Everybody made that point. 
that everything that we jump on and say it's like this, it's a story. We could say, that woman is terrible. That's a story. And you find out the woman isn't terrible. As a matter of fact, she's this and that and that and that and that. So if we don't go in with a prepared view, I think we meet most of our life, or a lot of our lives, with rehearsed views about what we think of. Uh-oh, here comes so-and-so, and here comes so-and-so, and this one I like, this one I like a little less, this one I like a little more, this one I really like, this one I sort of like, this one said a bad thing on me once, this one I can never forgive. We go and we're trailing all these ideas and never know how you're going to meet the person and what accordions you're going to find out <laughs> if you really do meet them. And then everybody's got a story that they did something to someone who had a repercussions this way. Good sometimes, sometimes maybe not so good. So we really could, uh, I, I love it. So who's going to write a story for next time? This is all, okay. <laughs> Everybody, this is the homework. That's that's when, you know, that's a, uh, what do you call it, rhetorical question. <laughs> um, I'm very happy that all these Marin Academy people came. Thank you very much for coming. And uh, if you want to come again ever, and just come. And um, we'll meet again maybe sometime. Maybe I'll come to Marin Academy and teach sometime. But anyway, come here anytime. This was fun, the stories, wasn't it? It was a really great. So I won't, oh, there goes Marty because she has to leave early. We're both going to be on the same retreat. We are, and Donald's going to be on the retreat, and my friend Sheila and Roger Walsh. Well, you know, we can't look at each other or say anything, but we'll all be there. Have our little group that we know that we're all there. So when we look at each other, you'll know that I'm thinking good thoughts on you, and I'll know that you're thinking good thoughts on me. And may we both get enlightened along with all of our friends. So, so I won't be here for a month, and uh, but I will be back after that. And... Uh, Tony Bernhardt will be here for a lot of the month, maybe all of the month, I'm not sure. He's a really lovely friend of mine and a very good, very wonderful, clear Dharma teacher. I enjoy how he teaches. So I hope that you're here. And then Donald is back for a couple of weeks, right when we're back. So you won't see me right coming off of retreat. Maybe Donald will levitate in the back door or something. (laughs) But you'll see me a few weeks after that. But you'll have in your mind that we're going to talk about Dharma in everyday life and how, in fact, living our lives wisely and then telling each other about it is a good behavior for us to do. May we, all of us, be uplifted and heartened and happy and uh, encouraged by thinking that all of us are already wise when we remember to be. And may we continue to to companion each other and encourage each other in the uh, living of an engaged and um, kind life with each other, with our families, with our communities, with the whole world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.